In this video, we're going to discuss the differences between mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, and hedge funds. It may seem that this lecture doesn't fit in with our current topic of derivatives. However, in our next class, we're going to look at how hedge funds use derivatives. But before we can do that, we need to understand what a hedge fund is and how it differs from a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund. Most of you will have heard of mutual funds. They represent a pool of money provided by individual investors, companies and other organisations. And a fund manager is going to be hired to invest the cash that the investors have contributed. Typically, mutual funds focus on bonds and or stocks. There are several benefits to investing via a mutual fund. First of all, the fund looks after all the record keeping rather than the individual investors, so it's convenient for individuals. We also get the benefits of diversification. The fund can invest in thousands of different companies and diversify our firm-specific risks. We get access to a professional fund manager. We also get reduced transaction costs relative to those that we would face if we invested all our money individually. These are the main benefits from investing in a mutual fund. What type of mutual fund should you invest in? Well, you can invest in two different types of mutual funds, open-end funds and closed-end funds. An open-end fund is the most common type of mutual fund. When a new investor wants to invest in an open-end fund, the fund will issue new shares, and the price of those shares is going to be based upon the current net asset value, or NAV. The net asset value is the market value of the shares minus any liabilities or costs incurred by the fund. If an investor wants to sell their shares in the fund, the fund will redeem the shares at the current net asset value. So there are no concerns about can you find a buyer if you want to get out of your mutual fund. The fund will always purchase the shares back from you. Closed-end funds are different. In a closed-end fund, the fund issues a fixed number of shares to the, to the public. These shares will then trade on the open market just like a regular stock's shares. So if you want to buy into a, into a closed-end fund, you have to go to the market and pay whatever price is being traded in the market for those shares. See how this is different from the open-ended funds where the fund itself would issue new shares to you if you wanted to buy in. Closed-end funds can trade at a discount or a premium to the net asset value because it depends on demand in the market for this fund. But normally they trade at a discount. The costs to investing in a mutual fund are fees. And the fees can typically be broken into two categories expense ratios and loads. The expense ratio refers to ongoing yearly fees that keep you invested in the fund. What sort of fees are we talking about? Well, the cost of hiring a fund manager, administrative costs and 12B1 fees for brokerage commissions and the advertising of the fund. Typically, expense ratios range between 0.2% and 2% per year. The average mutual fund 
tends to charge about 1.3 to 1.5% per year. And you will incur this expense every year that you are invested in the fund. The second type of fee that is charged is called a load. And these are fees paid either when you buy or sell the shares in a fund. We would say it's a front-end load if you pay this fee when you buy the shares, and it would be a back-end load if you pay the fee when you sell the shares in a fund. This load is used to compensate the brokers or the salespeople for selling you the mutual fund. For example, suppose you go to your local bank branch and ask to invest in a mutual fund. You will have to book an appointment with a financial advisor who will talk to you about all your different options and about each of the mutual funds that they offer. Effectively, they're not financial advisors. They are salespeople who are going to try and sell you a mutual fund. And when you agree to invest in that fund, you have to pay the load fee either at the start or at the end of your investment in the fund. And this load fee can often be up to 5% of your initial investment, which is a lot of money. Now, some funds have realised that investors are starting to realise that 5% is a big fee to pay. And now we're seeing funds that are reducing their load charges. Indeed, some funds have no loads at all. But for the time being, most funds still retain a load charge. We've now seen the benefits of investing in mutual funds and the costs of investing in a mutual fund. How do these funds perform? There is actually surprisingly little debate about mutual fund performance. Before fees, average returns on actively managed mutual funds are similar to the returns on the aggregate stock market. Now, why is this? Well, think about our, our pool of investors. And we may have active and passive investors. The active group would include mutual funds. Now, what should be the return for all investors, active and passive? Well, by definition, since this is all investors, the return must be equal, the average return must be equal to the stock market return. Now, what can we say about the passive investors? The return for the passive investors, these are investors who just buy and hold, must be equal to the market return, because they're just buying and holding. So on average, the passive investors will earn the market return. What does that mean the active investors must earn? Do they earn more than the market? Well, they can't, because we know that the average return for active and passive investors is just going to be equal to the market return. And we know that the passive investors will always earn the market return. That means that your average active investor must also earn the market return. So before fees, the average returns on actively managed mutual funds are going to be similar to the returns on the stock market. But we've just seen that mutual funds charge fees. We have expense ratios of 1% to 2% per year. And we have loads at the start or the end of our investment in a mutual fund. After fees, the average returns on mutual funds are going to be lower than the returns on the aggregate stock market. So remember, we're talking here about the average return on a mutual fund, so the average mutual fund. Maybe some mutual fund managers consistently beat the market, 
while other mutual fund managers consistently underperform relative to the stock market. Well, there's actually little evidence that managers who do well this year will perform well over the next year. The academic research suggests that managers are equally likely to be winners or losers. This is not good news for mutual funds, and they engage in lots of advertising to try and persuade you that they do earn abnormal returns and they can beat the market. But the evidence is consistent on this. Mutual funds do not outperform the market on average. Since the mid-90s, we've seen rapid growth in exchange-traded funds, or ETFs. ETFs allow investors to trade index portfolios just as if they were shares of a stock. In other words, we might want to trade energy stocks. And there is an ETF out there, which is an index fund that contains energy stocks only. And we can trade this fund like shares of a stock. What are the advantages of using an ETF? First of all, there are much lower costs than actively managed mutual funds. And second, they allow investors much more flexibility in their portfolio than buying just a single mutual fund. The disadvantage is that investors have to manage their ETFs and determine their asset allocations across different exchange-traded funds rather than just letting the active manager determine asset allocations. Exchange-traded funds are now widely popular. You can get exchange-traded funds for industries such as energy, mining, gold, transportation, for investment styles such as value, growth, high market risk, and you can get them for countries such as the UK, China, France, the USA, Germany, Japan, Russia. These exchange-traded funds have really captured a lot of business from mutual funds because they are low-cost and investors get lots of flexibility. Mutual funds have responded. This is why in recent years we have seen mutual funds lowering their load charges when an investor buys a mutual fund. It's to try and compete with exchange-traded funds. The final type of investment vehicle that I'm going to talk about is a hedge fund. Hedge funds have been around for a long time. They were created in 1949 by Alfred Jones. Jones was a journalist who focused on the financial sector. And when he set up his own fund, he decided that he wanted to make his investors money, but also make sure they didn't lose any. Jones wanted to hedge his bets by making his fund market neutral. Now, what are the rules governing hedge funds? Hedge funds do not fall under the Investment Companies Act. That means they are free from controls on leverage, short selling, incentive compensation, and derivatives positions. Hedge funds can do what they want with regards to how much leverage they take, how much short selling they engage in, how much they pay their managers, and what derivatives they use. If you choose to be a hedge fund, then the total number of US investors is limited to a maximum of 99 and hedge funds are not allowed to advertise. So those are the two drawbacks from being a hedge fund. You may have less restrictions on what you can do with the money, but you're only allowed 99 investors and you're not allowed to advertise. 
Whereas mutual funds can have as many investors as they want and they're allowed to advertise. Indeed, if you pick up Business Week or The Economist, you'll regularly see articles advertising mutual funds. We introduced, quite slyly here, some terminology that is new. Jones wanted to hedge his bets by making his fund market neutral. What, what is market neutral? What does it mean? Well, hedge funds take views, and typically they take relative views. In other words, asset A is going to outperform asset B. How would you implement this relative view? Well, you'd want to take a long position in asset A and a short position in asset B. What Jones was trying to do was Jones was trying to find two assets, A and B, that have similar levels of market exposure. So that when you take the long position in asset A and the short position in asset B, your net exposure to the market is zero. So suppose the market exposure for asset A equals 1 and for asset B it also equals 1. We take a long position in asset A, which means our market exposure is plus 1. We take a short position in asset B, which means our market exposure to asset B is minus 1. When we consider our portfolio, we have plus 1, minus 1, which equals 0. Our net exposure to the market is 0. In the diagram, the long position is going to be asset A and the short position is going to be asset B. When do we make a profit if this is the type of trade that we make? We're only going to make a profit if our long position does indeed outperform our short position. This is very different from mutual funds, which have limited short selling. In fact, most mutual funds derive all their gains from passive long positions. Because hedge funds take relative positions, their returns arise not due to the result of buying and holding, but due to managerial skill in identifying profitable opportunities or mispricings. Hedge funds have a different fee structure from mutual funds. Typically, there is a base fee ranging between 1% and 2% of the net asset value each year. But there are also incentive fees. And these incentive fees range between 10 and 30% of any increase in the net asset value of a fund. So suppose you have a fund, or you invest, in a, you invest $1 million in a fund. One year later, the fund has gone up 30%. So you now have... 1.3 million dollars. The hedge fund can take between 10 and 30 percent of that increase, that $300,000 increase, as an incentive fee. But the incentive fee is subject to a high watermark provision. The easiest way to show that is on a graph. Now suppose we invest 1 million dollars into the hedge fund. Over the next year, the net asset value actually decreases to 0.8 million. The hedge fund cannot charge any incentive fee because it hasn't made a profit. Your net asset value has gone down from 1 million to 0.8 million. 
But a year later, the fund has actually done a bit better. And now the value of the fund has increased to 0.95 million. So that's a good return over the year. We, we started at 0.8 million, and now the net asset value has increased to 0.95 million. However, the hedge fund still cannot charge an incentive fee because it hasn't passed what, what we would call the high watermark provision. You invested $1 million. The hedge fund can only charge an incentive fee if the net asset value is above $1 million. Now, suppose in year three, the hedge fund does really well and the net asset value increases from 0.95 up to, say, 1.2. Now the hedge fund can charge an incentive fee for the difference between 1 million and 1.2 million. And that incentive fee is going to range between 10% and 30% of that additional $200,000. You can see that these incentive fees are pretty large. This is what attracts managers to become hedge fund managers. How do hedge funds perform? The data on hedge fund returns is limited. We only have data for successful funds. There is no data at all for funds that fail. This introduces a big sample selection bias into any data sample looking at hedge funds. Until recently, all the evidence suggested that hedge funds do outperform the market. But that evidence is subject to the provision that we don't have data on all the hedge funds that fail. The recent global recession, however, has had a big impact on hedge funds. Many hedge funds lost lots of money, billions of dollars, during the global recession. It's a bit of a puzzle, actually, as to how they lost the money since many of these funds claim to be market neutral. That meant they shouldn't be exposed to big swings in the market returns. And yet it seems that many actually were. So although they thought they were not exposed to the market, it appears that thousands of hedge funds were. And indeed, we've seen many hedge funds actually close down over the last three years. Finally, there is little evidence that hedge fund managers who do well this year will perform well over the next year. Studies, again, just like the mutual fund studies, suggest that managers are equally likely to be winners or losers, regardless of their performance this year. That's all I want to talk about with regards to mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, and hedge funds. In class over the next week or two, we're going to look at hedge funds in a bit more detail and discuss them more carefully, because they've come in for a lot of bad press over the last three or four years. Many people think that hedge funds are vultures preying on innocent investors. An alternative view is that hedge funds are actually performing a public service and ensuring that stocks are correctly priced. That is something we will discuss in class.